Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monica Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. What's your story? Have you ever been asked that question during an interview and not known where to even begin? Telling stories about your professional self can inspire others' belief in your character and in your ability to successfully take on new opportunities or make career transitions. It also can help you believe in yourself. Having a career story gives meaning to your career history. It'll assure that in moving on to something new, you're not discarding everything you've worked so hard to accomplish. Unfortunately, Research has shown that most of us fail to use the power of storytelling in pursuit of our professional goals, or we just do it badly. Our guest, Reepa Rashid, Managing Director and Head of Inclusion at Diversity at Cowan, shares her career story and why it's important to weave together your professional narrative and be able to clearly articulate your journey with clarity. Reepa is an internationally recognized subject matter expert and practitioner in the space of workplace diversity and inclusion with a focus on gender, race, and global talent engagement and development strategies. Prior to joining Cowan, Ms. Rashid was Managing Director at Culture at Work, Working Mother Media, and Bonnier's Strategic Advisory and Custom Research Group. She also has served as a Management Consultant at Booz & Company, PwC, and Mitchell Madison Group and has held senior diversity and inclusion positions at MetLife and Time Warner. In this episode, Ripa shares how her career has been guided by a desire for continuous growth and learning, why it's important to have allies and sponsors in your corner, and advice on how to stay ahead of the curve in the digital age. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Ripa. Welcome, Ripa. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. Um, You and I have long history of working together when you were doing lots of your research um, on women, on Asians. And so you are a deep expert across the spectrum of diversity. So I'm thrilled to have you here and learn a little bit more about you and your story and your journey and really what led you to where you are now. Um, So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about Ripa and how you, you know, landed where you are now. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. So I think I'm going to share my story, starting with the common thread that has woven together a very diverse career Mm -hmm. in diversity and inclusion. I um, the common thread is the continuous learning and having a grown growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And it brings me back to, I think, a lesson I learned even as a teenager. I started my, um, as a child, really as a scientific person. I was really mm-hmm. drawn. I studied astronomy and astrophysics and was good at math and physics innately. And I remember my high school physics teacher saying in jest to encourage a bunch of apathetic high schoolers, the more you know, the more you realize how little you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
And so that has been one of my mantras, frankly, you know, 30 years later, Uh 30 more plus years later around approaching everything with the learning and growth mindset. Mm. But, you know, to, to go to who I am, what I do, a bit of my story. Right now, I um, head up Inclusion Diversity at Cowan, which is a 100-year-old financial services organization focused on investment banking, as well as investment management. Um, mm. We are kind of known for being disruptive. We focus on industries um, that are really innovative, like healthcare, mm-hmm. technology, retail. It's very entrepreneurial environment to this work. We're about Mm -hmm. 1,600 people globally. Mm. Um, I came to this role a year ago after having really worked as a diversity inclusion practitioner for the last 16, 17 years or so. Mm -hmm. So long history, as you said. Uh, And even as a diversity practitioner, I've really worn two hats, much like you. Mm -hmm. Uh, One hat has been like my current one, which is as an internal practitioner, Mm -hmm. where you are really a change agent, where you are um, constantly calibrating between what we want the company and culture to be, Mm -hmm. what it's capable of being, right, in terms of capacity for change. So being an inclusion diversity practitioner, the other part of the hat, which you alluded to, is being a researcher, uh, writer, a management consultant. Yes. Um, And that was very much informed by two other pieces that preceded my work in diversity inclusion. Mm -hmm. One is I was a generic management consultant. Consultants mm-hmm. serving first financial services, then media companies for, and I did that straight out of college, before business school, after business school. Uh, so it was the first 10 years or so of my career. Mm-hmm. And what I learned there was analytic rigor. What I learned mm-hmm. there is data-based approaches. What I learned there are change management strategies based on accountability. Right. Mm-hmm. So that feeds into my approach to inclusion and diversity. I I really bring that analytic rigor, metrics-based approaches, et cetera. I also have a degree in anthropology. And to me, that is one, the degree that probably more so than my undergraduate degree or my MBA shapes Mm -hmm. what I bring to the profession of inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. Because I see myself in some ways as a corporate anthropologist, Mm -hmm. um, you know, an anthropologist historically is kind of like, you know, Margaret Mead, who goes off and studies <laughs> tribes in Bali. And, yes. and you learn what you learn is, and you read all of that as an anthropologist. Um, and what you learn is you begin to understand culture in terms of human motivations. What gives us meaning? Mm-hmm. What drives our motivators, values, who's in and who's out? Right. Who rises, who falls. And I apply all of those lenses of meaning, value mm-hmm. um, to corporate America and the corporate world more broadly. So yeah. that's kind of a little bit about who I am and how it all weirdly coalesced together. That's fantastic. And I love your story because it is so rich. And I want to tap into... Um, a little of what you did where you're drawing from, like you said, your your anthropology background, all of these things that you've done where you've leveraged your analytical skills and all of that. 
what was the key to you kind of gaining that clarity on those strengths and then identifying how you could leverage those strengths, you know, towards a career path and really serving kind of purpose as well? Like you said, that intrinsic motivation of like what drives you, but then how did you gain clarity on those things? You know, it's, I, I would argue that I don't know if I have clarity even today. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's not always so clear. I think mm-hmm. it's much more clear in 2020 hindsight mm-hmm. back vision that I can weave together that narrative. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think for us to succeed as women, as professionals, we need to be able to articulate our journeys with clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a couple of things have helped me on that front. One is Really, you know, this comes from, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of leadership development, as you know, Mm -hmm. around women. Um, I've done a lot of exec education. And one of the exercises we do is kind of almost creating your elevator pitch, but not really an elevator pitch. Right. It's an exercise we call, who are you really? Because the traditional elevator pitch, I'm a little skeptical about. Yes. But we've done um, in some of the courses I've taught something what we call a four box exercise where you really need to articulate within two to two minutes or less mm-hmm. four things about yourself. One is obviously what you asked me, who are you? Who are you personally? Yeah. Right? And if I had to answer that in 30 seconds, I'd say I'm originally from what was Pakistan, became Bangladesh. I grew up all over the world, moved to the U.S., you know, um, worked in 12 different countries, very much a global citizen, married mm-hmm. to a Dutchman, live in New York, have biracial kids, all that. Uh-huh. Kind of stuff. That's the personal coup. Um, I'm, a, I'm a kind of global nomad. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> the professional we talked about, the long journey, the management right. consultancy, the diversity. Then the thought leadership piece is the what, like, what am I famous for? What do I want to be famous for? And I think for me, it's evolved originally from the gender focus that many of us came into diversity on Mm -hmm. to more broad issues of inclusion. Mm -hmm. What is it that creates an inclusive culture where all talent feels they can contribute they can thrive, they can be heard and are valued and seen. Mm. So that's where I want to be known for is really focusing on the I part of the DNI equation. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's the legacy I want to leave is the why, the fourth box. Mm-hmm. So the who, the where, the what, and then the why. And why do I do this? It's because I was raised in a world which was very misogynistic. I've also ra- been living in countries that are predominantly white as a brown person. Right. And equity and making sure everybody has a chance to rise to their full potential is critical to me. Mm-hmm. And it's what Nick Kristoff has always said that talent exists everywhere, opportunity does not. Right. So it's about creating access and opportunity. That's the why. So I encourage people and myself to kind of periodically stop and think of those four buckets of the who, you know, where, uh, what, and why, mm-hmm. and articulate it in that crisp way to myself. That's a fantastic framework. And I think it's one that you have to revisit all the time, uh, yeah. depending on, you know, where you are in your career, especially when there's transitions into new roles or, you know, different industries, those things. Um, it's really good to, like you said, to be able to articulate that. And what happens so much with all the women that, you know, we work with here as well at Beyond Barriers is that they don't 
invest that time. They don't give themselves that time to really do that self-reflection in order to do that. And when they do, it's like an aha moment. And, and they are so like, they realize how powerful it is to invest that time um, in themselves. I love the framework you just shared. And believe me, I will be thieving and doctoring it <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, and you know, I think I learned or used the term thieve and doctor for the very time, first time in my life, sitting right next to you yes. in a sharing <laughs> circle in 2008 when yes. I first started working on innovation. And you were talking about the returnship program at yes. Golden. And I said, I really like what that woman has to say. And you <laughs> are 13 years later. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I really am- admired about you is, you know, having that perspective and that thought leadership is, is actually, you have to be courageous to do that. So, you know, that leads into my other question of, you know, what are the techniques that help you overcome sometimes that maybe fear, limiting belief, or maybe even that self-doubt where, you know, you were very courageous in putting your perspective and your thoughts out there in your research, and that is bold. Um, And how did you do that? Because we do tell women that having a level of visibility is so powerful and being able to... um, tap into that. And, you know, visibility is power. So what were techniques that helped you get past that um, in really just putting your perspective out there and saying it is what it is? Two things I'd point to. One is really alliances and sponsorships. No, nobody does anything, any of this alone. So mm-hmm. finding the partners, whether they be sponsors or lateral allies or people you're bringing up with you, mm-hmm. uh, do it together with makes the journey a lot more um, real and manageable and less scary. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. So that's that's fine. Whether it's a sisterhood or you know, it doesn't matter. Find the allies and sponsors. And I've been really lucky on that front in that I happened upon some amazing partners and leaders through mm-hmm. certain journeys. And I'm not someone who likes thinking or doing alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm I'm an introverted person. I do like my time alone, but in terms of actually achieving things, I don't like going on the journey alone. Mm. So for me, having those critical thought partners, leaders, and, you know, for instance, in my role at Cowan, you know, I I was a one-person band, if you will, for Uh the first six months. But three months into it, I realized, you know what, if we really are to achieve the types of goals that we this organization wants and is invested in. I can't do this alone. I'm going to need a team. Right. And luckily they were really open to it, but I was very selective in terms of the person I hired. I hired someone who wasn't just going to be a doer. I hired someone who had done this and built this and who I could learn from mm. and who would be a partner with me. And she was coming from an environment where she had had to do things solo and she too was looking for it. So right. it was a win for both of us. And we often will stop every couple of months and you know we've been working together now for six months and pinch ourselves we're like this is so much better to do it together because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work right yeah. and most anything that's worth doing as you know is hard nothing that's really worth doing is easy and smooth sailing so that's exactly. one find the people to go along with you in the journey the other piece is embrace the fear and own it 
Um, this act, this lesson actually comes from my teenage son, uh, who has been wise beyond his years from when he was little. And I remember I do a lot of public speaking, as you know. And no matter how many times I'm on a stage, no many, no matter who the audience is, whether it's an audience of five or an audience of five thousand, I'm always anxious, mm-hmm. and stressed, and there's the fear and the courage and. And I remember sharing it with him when he was quite young that, leave me alone, I'm really stressed. And he said, it's a good thing to be stressed, mom. It shows you care. Yes. <laughs> so, so the fear in some ways is part of the process. It's you mm-hmm. saying to you, it's your psyche telling you, you're innovating, you're pushing yourself. Because if you yeah. live a life without fear, it means you're not discovering anything. I love that. That's absolutely so true in terms of embracing the fear. But it is one of those things where if something is important, then you are going to have that level of anxiety, but use it as a tool to energize you and focus and hone in and and just get the job done. I love that. Now, you touched on a really important piece of, you know, community, of really tapping people to help you go along the journey and getting those things done. And I think that is absolutely brilliant because it, you know, you, it's leverage, it's leverage and helping you get things done. And this is one of the areas that I find women and and you help, you know, you fill in the blanks for me as well, because you've worked so much and, and, in really doing research and focus groups with women. But I find that women don't leverage their community as much as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, they're afraid to ask or they associate asking with being selfish or not being able to do it themselves. Um, what were some of the you know, techniques maybe and keys that you used in order to build these lasting relationships and critical relationships to help you move ahead? And it's a two-part question. Um, you mentioned as well that you, know, you happen to mostly you know, be the only in a sea of, you know, white male dominating, you know, industries and whatnot. How did you gain access to influential leaders and build relationships with people who weren't like you in order to get ahead? I think a couple of things here. One is really um, turning it around in terms of what you said about our hesitation to Mm -hmm. ask. I mean, it's, it's a famous dictum, right? That women and the research has shown mm-hmm. that women nurture relationships for friendship and comfort and happiness and not necessarily to get things done. Mm-hmm. And by doing, by taking that approach, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yes. But we revert to that. And I myself have reverted to that. And the one thing that has broken me out of that pattern is realizing that when someone asks me to do something for them, I mm-hmm. love it. I love to be asked. Yes. yes. Why am I so afraid to ask people? They like being asked too. So just that very simple recognition that people actually, even if they're senior and even if they don't have time, if you're asking them to do something that is important and impactful, mm-hmm. they like being asked. So very sim- that's a really simple one, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That that's really helped me reframe it in my own mind that it's okay to ask, mm-hmm. but it is hard and you know predominantly you know it's much easier for me to ask something often of my female peers or a fellow South Asian woman mm-hmm. and, you know um, than it is often with the the hockey playing 
mm-hmm. MD, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the other piece of it, I think, is really um, thinking about um, what what am I afraid of? The root causes of what is the worst thing that can happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like, am I afraid of a no? Um, and if there's a no, what what can I? What's the you know to use MBA terms? What's the bat now? What's the best alternative to the negotiated agreement? Like, <laughs> even if they say no, they may have learned something. I have learned something. So I think kind of viewing every relationship, whether you get a yes or a no from asking, as something that's authentic and you can build on. And I think mm-hmm. in terms of building the relationships across difference is important for us too, as women and particularly mm-hmm. women of color, because unfortunately there just aren't that many of us out there laterally, right? When yes. leadership role. So I'll always remember in the sponsorship research we did, there was an African-American woman who had been a partner at uh, one of the big account, big four. Mm-hmm. And she told her sponsorship story in the interview we were doing, and it turned out her sponsor, like many of our stories, was a white man. Mm-hmm. And she said that when she first got staffed with him, she said, oh, my God, this is going to be tough. We are like night and day. He lives in Connecticut, you know, goes yes. sailing as part of a club. I live in the city. I grew up in an urban environment. You know, all the different socioeconomic stuff, stereotypes right. applied to them. And then she said, within a few months, she realized they actually had a couple of things in common. Like they both really enjoyed traveling and around food, culinary tourism. Mm-hmm. And she said, I began to realize, and this is the phrase I love. She said, I had to look beyond the face in the mirror mm, yes, to find the commonality. So I try to remind myself of that all the time. And usually because... I'm old. I've done a lot of things. I have a lot of interests. It's pretty easy for me to find a common interest with most people. Right. There are times even I reach my limit and I have to remind myself, look behind, beyond the face in the mirror. There's got to be something. Right. It's a TV show on Netflix because that's all we do. In the- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but whatever it is, there's something that you might be able to connect on and find That's so valuable. And it's so true, right? Because we always, I mean, even when we talk about diversity and the dimensions of diversity, right? There's the whole iceberg model where, you know, you can see what it's above the water level, but if you don't go and really seek and look below the the water level, there's so much there that you probably do have in common. And it's just like you said, going past the whole skin deep, look in the mirror and go deeper and past that. And you will find commonalities that you can build relationships on. And that is so important. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to IamBeyondBarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the analytical part of you that's probably a little bit more focused on, you know, 
execution. So what helps RIPA be so successful in, in executing and getting things done? Like, what are some tips you can share on how you've reached your professional goals? Like, how do you set a goal and how do you achieve it? You know, I, I'm pretty relentless when it comes to <laughs> goal setting. And, um, but beyond pure tenacity, I think what I may do a little differently than others is I really apply a lot of what I learned as a management consultant around frameworking. Mm. I've never seen a framework I don't like. Give me a two by two. Give me a couple of chevrons. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a Gantt chart. Uh (laughs) Give me a flow diagram. So I try to break down a lot of things, um, a lot of what I do into buckets. I segment Mm-hmm. I framework and that helps me. It seems really simple now that I'm describing it to you. <laughs> it's breaking down the big picture into smaller th- digestible mm-hmm. pieces and tackling those. So it's mm-hmm. pretty, uh, you know, 101. But that being said, weaving it all back together in a coherent narrative mm-hmm. um, is, I think, I really derive a lot of intellectual pleasure mm-hmm. from creating the narrative that makes sense. So whether it be the business case for inclusion and diversity told in new ways, or whether it be looking at indicators beyond the lagging indicators around representation or promotion or attrition, but thinking Mm -hmm. more of the leading indicators around Mm -hmm. who has relationships at work and who doesn't, Um, who feels included, who doesn't, who feels they can bring their authentic self into the workplace and who doesn't, and looking at patterns in that to -hmm. close those gaps. So for me, my brain operates in that way. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what keeps me at least kind of going from one chapter to the next and moving Mm -hmm. forward is being structured in that way. And I think the important thing that you said and key to what you said was that it seems very simple but that's what you ultimately have to do is break it down into simple things to kind of keep moving forward. So it makes absolute sense. <clears throat> and I think what you just shared is actually what very tangible that people can say, okay, I do have to break things down into simple. And sometimes that's the hardest part is we, for, you know, keep it simple, stupid, kind of the, that whole <laughs> saying of like really just breaking it down, making it simple so that you can keep moving forward and not get stuck. It's the everyday block and tackling. Yes. Of, you know, we have five things we need to accomplish. It's really, it's simple project management, frankly, at the end of the day and applying Mm -hmm. it in so many different ways. I think the other piece I'll add though, Monica, is that I think it's the openness to new ideas and to recalibrate if you need to. Mm -hmm. That is another piece of it. Again, going back to my physics teacher, I don't ever feel like I know the answer to everything a hundred percent that contributes to the fear and lack of confidence sometimes that I'm trying to turn around in other ways and remember that actually I probably know more about this topic than anybody else. So I can (laughs) be a little more confident, but being open to multiple inputs Mm -hmm. to me, that's a critical piece of it. So I'm never dug in to a path and I'm open to innovating, open to recalibrating and refining because I never believe there is a one size fits all solution for anything. Right. And what I, I love what you just said about you, you know, you embrace the idea that you don't know everything, but you still will move forward and take an opportunity. 
um, in doing that. And one of the things that I have learned over the years in working in talent management with women is the, and you can probably attest to this as well, the research in where women won't step into an opportunity if they don't feel that they are ready for it or they don't know or they don't have the experience. How have, you know, talk a little bit more about that and how you reframe that and where you boldly will step into a role, an opportunity, even when you don't check all the boxes per se. You know, I'll I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've had the luxury not to because I have had to make a living. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, I didn't come into the world with a trust fund, right. um, nor am I married to someone who, you know, we both need to work. Right, yeah? right. So I haven't always had the luxury that, oh my God, I'm finding the perfect job. So that's a very simple answer. Mm-hmm. And then you take the leap because you have no choice. <laughs> you right. have the leap. <laughs> right. so very pragmatic, almost immigrant mentality of it. Like you do what you do, even if it's new, because you have no choice. Right. The other piece of it, I think, is also knowing that no one really knows exactly what they're doing. (laughs) That's what you begin to learn, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I remember one of my first conversations with a senior leader at a new organization I joined um, meeting with with this one of the you know senior women there who became a wonderful ally and colleague. Mm-hmm. She said, "We're all making it up as we get along." Go along, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I mean, frankly, Joe Biden's probably making it all up. Everyone's making it up all the time, and that's a good thing because there is no roadmap and no prescribed path for innovative work. Yes. And I think that it's so important that you said that for our listeners and for other women out there to hear that no one really knows what they're doing and we are making it up as we go along and it is okay. And you will, you know, you'll end up on the other side, a better person making better decisions, but you have to just keep moving forward opposed to just getting stuck in that inertia. Yeah. And you can do it in an informed way. Like every step in the unknown you take, you should not be taking it blindly. You need to arm yourself with information, data, research, people, all those things. Right. Take the unknown steps, take those steps into scary places, but do it fully armed. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Now, what is, you know, how do you, and and this is something that I know you've always done just because of who you are and the nature of your work, but in this disruptive environment, digital IA, everything is changing constantly. How do you stay ahead? How do you stay informed? How do you make sure that you are thinking about the next level competencies or, you know, how all of this digital disruption is going to impact your work? How do you stay ahead? Um, By having conversations like this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) by listening in on conversations like this. Mm -hmm. You know, in our field, there's a zillion conferences every week, but I actually make time to, not as often as I wish I could, Mm -hmm. but I usually end up spending an hour or two every week doing some kind of learning, whether it be listening to a webinar, reading an HBR article, digesting, you know, listening to a podcast, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the only way to go and kind of reading and and learning as widely as possible. I mean, you know, I'll tell you one of the most interesting things for me that has, and it's still kind of really 
um, is, is lodged in my mind is around talking about digital around some of the biases that exist in the AI world around things like facial recognition. Yes. And, you know, we experience it probably every day as women of color, like look at my background right now, which people can't see, but my uh-huh. black hair is disappearing because that background was not made for people with my skin. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of stuff and learning about that is just, again, it has nothing to do with my day job right now, mm-hmm. but I'm so fascinated about it because I can bring it back to my day job and make the point to the people in my organization that you don't innovate properly if you don't have the right designers in the room. Right, absolutely. And they can translate that into creating a solution for their client, right? Yeah. They're not, so, so that's, I, I like to kind of keep abreast of things that are completely out of left field sometimes mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> to help myself think that way. It's what, you know, um, Franz Johansson talks about the intersection, right? Yes. How it's, I still remember his story of the solution in Harare of the building, which was someone who was an architect who had studied entomology and the two completely disparate fields coming together to create something that was innovative. So for me, that's really important in everything I do is to bring completely different ideas to change things around and flip the script sometimes. Absolutely. It's that diversity of thought that really does um, breed innovation. And and I, you and I can kind of probably go on and on about just other, you know, working at Google was so fascinating to me of like, how do you leverage that diversity of thought to really create better solutions and create better products? So that is fantastic. Um, <clears throat> one other question I'd love to ask you is because I think you've done this very seamlessly is decision-making, right? You've had some big decisions where, you know, you were, like you said, externally, the external consultant, but then also going in-house. And a lot of women struggle with uh, changing kind of whether it's, you know, from a job or career perspective, changing industry, changing role, but in your case too, changing from being this external, um, you know, consultant type person to going in-house how do you do, you know, weigh your decisions? How do you, you know, um, make difficult decisions? What is that framework? Because you do love frameworks. So what is that framework that you use to make those types of decisions? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the framework is probably some kind of a pie chart in this instance. Uh-huh. <laughs> part, of the, part of the pie chart, obviously, is the economics of it. And I think we sh- I want to be really open about this. One of the things I've discovered with some of my friends from business school is that we don't talk about money as often as we should. And she and I, right. were, she was going through a difficult career conversation you know, chapter. And she openly shared with me what her salary was. And I was like, oh, I make a similar band too. And I shared with her. And I was like, we've known each other for 20 years. And we've never before this known about how much money the other one makes. And why yeah. are we so cagey and shy about? Why are we dancing around this stuff? So I think mm-hmm. money, go where the money is, ladies, because we need economic power yes. to have agency mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. the world. So follow the money. Don't be shy about that. (laughs) So that's a big part of the pie. Right. (laughs) Um, The other two parts of the pie are obviously the people, Mm -hmm. uh, the individual people. Are there role models, leaders who you will enjoy working with or aspire to be? 
right. that's important. Mm-hmm. And of course, the third piece is what's the culture like? As an anthropologist, I'd be remiss not to mention culture. And the culture part is probably the hardest to assess. And that's where, you know, you do your gut check, mm-hmm. the money, you can figure out, right? You have right. benchmarks, you have, you know, all kinds of bands you can look at. For mm-hmm. leadership, you can probably get some data and look at people's track records, but the culture is where you often take the biggest leap of faith around gut check. And that's what you get. You got to sometimes go with your gut for that one. Mm, fantastic. I love that. Well, this has been amazing, a wonderful conversation, and we could keep going, but I'd love to end this podcast with just given your rich um, experience in working with women and even when your research and some of your papers around, you know, women are the solution to, you know, uh, you know, just work, the you know, future of work and things like that. What are some parting words or advice you want to share with women who are listening? First, um, our difference as women is our superpower. It is not an impediment. Mm. It is what makes us better. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry to the guys listening. Probably <laughs> agree. Um, but it's it what difference is a good thing. Yes. So if you can add difference. That's your power. That's your superpower is the lens you bring as a woman. So don't ever try to erase that. I think early on in my career, I tried to fit in and I was an always, always the only woman in the room for the first 10, 15 years of my career and tried to be one of the guys. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was pretty okay at it. But then I was realized it's good to be a woman. <laughs> why, why it's wonderful to be a woman. We have yeah, powers yeah. that we can do a lot of things that men can't do. And those are good things. Mm-hmm. So that's one piece I would say. Um, the second piece I'd say is don't just advocate for yourself, mm. advocate for everybody, find the allies. And, you know, sometimes one of the hardest parts for women is the self-advocacy because particularly for women from outside the U.S., yes. in the U.S., you know, everyone jokes that kids are taught to self-promote and self-present from when they're three years old. You do show and tell. I didn't grow up that way. A lot of people from other countries didn't grow up that way. (laughs) And the self-promotion, self-advocacy can be very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And the best solution I've ever heard um, is from an old boss who used to tell this story. You might recognize. I won't name her because I'm Uh not authorized to. (laughs) She said she found it hard, too, to self-promote. And she said what she did was she found three other allies. Mm -hmm. And they would meet on a regular basis, catch up just as women do as colleagues. Mm-hmm. And then their mission was until the next time they would talk each other up because, you know, it's much easier for me to talk you up and the wonderful work you're doing <laughs> than it is for me to talk myself up. Right. Exactly. So let's, let's not just become the men. Let's create our own strategies for success. Fantastic. I love that. Yes. Because, you know, we have to level up together and like you said, sometimes it's really hard to be your own cheerleader. So just recruit other cheerleaders so that, you know, somebody is controlling the conversation about you in another room when you're not present. Um, I think that and I'm happy to be your cheerleader anytime. And, you know, I, I make that commitment to women who are doing great work like you and others that I'm here all the time cheering. We got to cheer each other on. Well, thank you. And I so appreciate that. And and likewise, you know, we um, we definitely have to, like you said, lift each other up and you can count on me and I will count on you and we will we will make waves. <laughs> well, it's about time, right? So much Absolutely. more to do. So much more to do. So we got to keep at it. 
Definitely. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And um, I know people are going to want to connect or want to hear more from you um, and read your amazing thought leadership and follow it. So what's the best way for someone to stay connected or follow you? I'm on LinkedIn, Ripa Rashid. There aren't very many of me, believe it or not, R-I-P-A, last name R-A-S-H-I-D. All my publications are linked to my bio. And if you ping me to um, connect, I am very responsive. So find me there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ripa. It has been a truly an honor and um, I look forward to staying connected. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.